Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jeff Moyer, DC Sports Training, coming to you from Pittsburgh, PA. And today's show, guys, we have Matt Belay. Matt is a osteopath, a posturologist, the founder and owner of IP Institute, and in my opinion, one of the experts in all things kind of just brain-based functional neurology. Um, I was introduced to Matt through our mutual friend, Dan Fichter, uh, who we had back on the, ep- uh, you know, one of the episodes uh, uh, a while ago. That was actually the most popular episode we've had. Um, Dan introduced me to Matt's course IP back in March uh, when the pandemic first kind of hit. And since, you know, I had nothing but time uh, and I trust Dan when he recommends things, I said, sure. So I signed up for IP not really knowing what it was. Um, and to be honest with you guys, after uh, going through the first few uh, courses, because uh, it's a 12-hour, level one, each level I believe is 12 hours long. Um, and after going through level one, I was hooked. Uh, I signed up for level two, uh, went through that, and signed up for level three and went through that. And I uh, uh, haven't looked back since. And IP, along with posturology, has really changed my lens on how I view uh, I don't know, just athletic development people in general, um, to be totally honest with you. IP is based off of functional neurology, but also neurological development um, and how, you know, we learn um, from a motor control, motor learning standpoint. And uh, um, we go through that through uh, in, in the interview um, while we start with the, the base of the pyramid um, and what that entails and, and how that can have an effect on everything up the pyramid and something that I learned from IP uh, was the name of Dr. Robert Melillo, who you guys might recognize from a couple episodes back, who's had having a huge impact on my learning and my education. And he's also a mentor to Matt. And um, it's through Dr. Melillo's work and also Matt's work that I've kind of got a better understanding of how the brain grows. And from from birth and childhood, it, it grows up. It grows from the brainstem up. And then it lateralizes and then grows down and, and forward. And if it doesn't successfully grow from the from the stem, if there's developmental milestones missed, if there's just differences um, that, that aren't developed from there, it can't fully grow up well. And then we're not going to get a full lateralization of right and left brain. And that's where... <clears throat> That's where learning uh, disabilities can come in. That's where anxiety, dyslexia, um, all types of things can come in. And for me, uh, you know, hand-eye coordination is a large part of what I do. Vision training is a large part of what I do. And there, you know, uh, I'm not afraid to admit my failures. And there's been times where I can't get athletes to improve their visual qualities, their eye movements, and such. And it took this neurological lens uh, and, and reflex lens to really change. Well, maybe this person, you know, I can't improve it because I'm not doing the right type of stimulation to improve this, uh, affect the brainstem. And so now I view everything from that kind of level of right and left brain and development in primitive reflexes. And um, we really get into it in the IP courses. And Matt and I have a great discussion about why it's important to start from the the base level of neural development and how that affects everything up the chain. Um, and uh, it, it's an awesome episode, guys. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Matt is uh, a wealth of knowledge, 
and is a guy that I'm going to continue to bother and bug uh, for years going on forward. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Thanks. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time again to uh, to do this. We had some technical difficulties the first time on my end, but uh, man, I, I'm so appreciative to have you back on. Uh, just getting to talk to you again. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to pick up more nuggets that uh, um, I might have missed the first time. So yeah, Matt, if you don't mind, kind of give the uh, the audience just a little bit background of who you are and, and what you're doing. So uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. So I teach um, a few uh, key contents that I think are um, interesting to strength coaches because the whole point to what I do is increasing performance. Um, by trade, I'm an osteopath, uh, so I'm trained in looking at the physical body and trying to balance it out. Um, I found results were not the most satisfying with manual therapy. I'm also certified in active release uh, techniques and muscle activation uh, techniques. Um, and quite frankly, uh, I found the results weren't as um, long-lasting as I thought they would be, practicing a bunch of different manual therapies, and that led me to study more of that brain-body connection. Uh, so um, the field of study is called functional neurology, and I've developed courses uh, for uh, sports performance uh, that use functional neurology as a uh, premise. And so those are the, uh, the IP Institute courses that, uh, that you've taken with Dan, and myself, but essentially my background is that um, I went from strength coaching to physical therapists over the years, trying to really sort out why we would see movement dysfunctions and in high level athletes as much as in the regular population. And it, it led me to a brain-based approach uh, line of work. Now what, if you don't mind, uh, what is functional neurology? So functional neurology is looking at the nervous system from a standpoint where we do not manage pathology or illness, but we manage when things aren't uh, functioning optimally. So a key example, let's say you, uh, you're an avid runner and um, you know at some point in your jog, you feel like your left leg is less responsive. You don't feel it as much. It's, it tends to stiffen up. Um, you go see a doctor, you go see a physical therapist, and I mean, they really just don't have much to tell you. You don't have an illness, you don't have a nerve root uh, lesion, uh, you don't have a disc bulge. So essentially, like, your structure, your health is in perfect shape, but your performance isn't the way it should be. That's where functional neurology comes in. It's looking at things from a perspective of quality and yes, quantity as well, but even more so quality, which is really what medicine doesn't do. And it's also looking at things from, okay, now that we know that you don't have an illness, why is it that you don't see performance the way it should express itself? Um, and it connects, it's the only really, only field of study that I know of uh, that looks at the connection between the brain and muscles in terms of improving that connection. Uh, that's awesome. Now, how does IP kind of integrate that for sport coaches and, and strength conditioning coaches? So the way IP takes the uh, functional uh, neurology approach but delivers it to sports performance is essentially by making the gap between uh, neurology and biomechanics. So most uh, strength coaches, uh, even physical therapists or athletic trainers, look at things from a biomechanical perspective exclusively. So, you know, one of the key examples, let's say, is, you know, you've got winging in your scapula, 
uh, when you do, um, let's say, bench press, well, uh, most are going to say, well, that's a serratus anterior weakness. And although that is true from a biomechanical standpoint, I don't believe that one day a serratus anterior just woke up and started saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. So um, then you have to look at why is it that your serratus anterior wouldn't be uh, working properly. And you can do these different exercises that are mechanically sound for that muscle and that range of motion. But essentially the way it works is that we've all had to connect our brains to our muscles between zero to two years of age. And typically on the side that we didn't use as much for development, that's the side where we have less motor control, more stiffness. And lo and behold, if we get injured on that side, it's the side that never seems to heal well. Um, so yeah, the serratus anterior is interesting, but it's not that important. What's important is trying to figure out why that shoulder First off, it's never just one muscle. That, that, that mentality has to disappear at some point. It's never just one muscle. It's usually a group of them. It's usually a whole joint when you look at things very objectively. And, and then it's figuring out why is it we even have to address this joint. When you look at things from a, a neurology perspective, uh, you tend to have more answers and more tools to work with that actually go to the root cause of the problem. Now, why do you... Uh... I don't know, why do you think there's so much of a disconnect between the biomechanists and the neurologists? And why don't you, in your opinion, think that more the biomechanics type of people, uh, you know, believe in the neurology, um, you know, no, without saying any names yeah. or anything? There's particular organizations and people out there that kind of just slander uh, neurology. Um, and uh, I don't know, just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, they would have to see things from a different perspective, and that's hard. It's hard because if you've affiliated yourself, even let's say on a very personal level, to your beliefs and how you do and how you see things, to start changing that means you have to start changing who you are. And, and I don't think most people are comfortable enough with themselves and, and the results that they're achieving today to be able to say, you know what, outside of what I'm able to do right now, if being able to do more means I have to change how I see things, I think most people are still quite reluctant to that. Um, so I don't think it's so much because they they're not um, they don't see value in a in, in applied neurology model. I think it's because it's honestly just too much work for them. Uh, so I, I vote for laziness and pride as far as those the main two reasons why I think some people in the biomechanical world are are saying. The brain doesn't matter. When in every one of the physiology textbooks they've read their whole life, they know and understand that if they can control a muscle, it's because they have a neuron connecting to it. So it's kind of interesting, any obviously when you look at it that way. Yeah, I've uh, I've come across, I don't know, coaches uh, who, who've kind of I'm sure you have as well that kind of just get in that that I don't uh, unfortunate debate of oh all that stuff is just fake. You can you can change. You can change someone's muscle test by just anything, touching anywhere, just redoing it. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It's uh, my 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 answer to them, at least, uh, and I'd be curious to yours is: Have you ever had it done on you? <laughs> For sure. And muscle testing is subjective, but how about movement pattern analysis? Yeah. You know, where is basically where we see a lot of the changes using the IP method, because yeah. quite frankly, it's all about making it relevant to the person's activities. So if the people that we're interested in working with, yourself, Dan, myself, our athletes, or people that are interested in movement, 
Well, then muscle testing is one way in on figuring out what's going on with that system. I'm personally much more interested in seeing them squat, bench, and deadlift, uh, or how they perform chin-ups. So, so this is where we see the changes. I mean, you bring a bar overhead and it goes from tilted to leveled. Well, that's relevant for me. So whether or not then you know the muscle test shows A or B, I get I get the criticism about the muscle testing. I still like to use it personally, but I use it as an indicator. Uh, I much prefer testing movement patterns, quite frankly, because if I'm going to teach motor patterns in IP courses, which really go after you know um, crawling, creeping, turning, then these motor patterns need to convert in adulthood to movement patterns. So I'm much more interested in seeing how people move understanding that they'll move only as well as the connections they've wired in their nervous system early on in life. Well, let's get into that a little bit. So in level one of the IP, one of the things that I had, I had seen before but I never had discussed and brought out to detail as well as you, you do is uh, Williams and Sch uh, Schnellenberg's uh, Pyramid of Learning. Uh, you yeah. mind kind of discussing you know that and its role in what you do with IP and you know everything else you do. So, uh, in, in America, you guys are uh, fortunate to have a lot of great scientists and clinicians, uh, two of the, which are uh, Williams and Schellenberger, they're uh, uh, occupational therapists, actually, and in 96, they came up with an interpretation of how the nervous system develops, and so what they did is they basically built a pyramid uh, to give people a visual of how the nervous system is wired, and what we've done at IPS, I, I like the model so much that I figured in terms of putting together an, a, a program for people to, to use with their clients, if they know where to start and they know where they're going based on this pyramid model, then no one's ever going to be lost and, and clients and, and their trainers are always going to be able to know where they're at on the continuum of motor control. So it's really, it's a, it's a great formula, it's a great visual to develop motor control from its foundational roots to uh, fine motor control, which is really the um, the end stage of that game. Yeah, uh, and I, again, I, I had seen it before, but the way the course goes through each stage and level um, was just something new to me, and it was I you know I had to go through, and I still have to go through. I have the it all printed out and, and right here, <laughs> I still review it. it daily um, because it was just it's just a different take on 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 motor development and. Uh, uh, motor control that I, I'm used to, so that that was uh, pretty eye-opening. Um, so, are you to say that you know if if uh, an athlete has a shoulder uh, injury or something like that, that could be due to a missed stage in their development when they're when they're two? I mean, basically, unless there's a case for injury, um, when problems seem to arise, I'm going to say, quote unquote, out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, people get out of bed one day and they're like, oh, I probably slept funny. And ever since that day, they have a shoulder issue. They didn't seem to really injure themselves with training. We tend to blame quite a whole bit what we do as far as why we have the issues we have. Whereas what I've seen in the last 14 years is it's really how balanced are individuals doing many things. And the more balanced they are, the more they can absorb different forms of stresses. So yes, if you don't have great connections of how you even wired those um, initial links between your brain and your muscles from zero to two, you actually carry that with you your entire life. You only got one shot at the can of making these connections where they would be so deeply wired in your system 
at a time and, and, and at an age where these connections had to be built for the first time. And you know what they say, you can always try again, but your first time is like, you can't, your first impression, right, is always the one that's the lasting one. So in the brain, it's true as well. The way you wired how you crawled, if you crawled with the right leg and not so much with the left, you can always work on that left leg being more proprioceptive, that left leg being more flexible. But typically, it's always going to be like, okay, it's getting better, but I'm still more comfortable with my right leg. So the real solution is to make sure kids develop optimally from zero to two years of age. Mm -hmm. But then if that doesn't happen, and obviously, you know, perfect does not exist, then we can always at any point in time later on um, work on these imbalances, but not so much from just a mechanical perspective to say, oh, my piriformis is tight and my glute is weak, but more so on why is it that that's even the case, and then look back at the motor pattern integration. So uh, an example that kind of uh, shed light, at least in my experience, and I'd love for you to elaborate on examples of yours, but like, Okay, so one of, one of the uh, key components at the base of the pyramid is, is tactile sensation, sensory yeah. uh, tactile sensation, and which also will tie in with some of the questions I have on primitive reflexes for you, But because um, you know we both have a love for that. But um, yeah. So for instance, I have some adult ladies that I train, and they play tennis and paddle, and it's very competitive here in Pittsburgh. Um, but this lady's had a history of knee injuries, history of uh, um, some hip stuff. Well, funny enough, uh, from a tactile sense, uh, she has a Babinski reflex. On, mm. on that foot, you know what I mean? So yeah. anytime we go, she doesn't like being barefoot, she's got super flat feet, uh, which we can get in with some of the posturology stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, test her Babinski, and lo and behold, she's got tactile issues. She doesn't like to be barefoot for a reason, you know? Um, yeah. So would you mind, uh, I don't know, give some examples or, or explain a little bit on how just something like that can affect, chain, you know, links up the chain? So she'll go see her doctor for knee issues and most likely after, you know, x-ray and uh, assessment, if there's nothing terribly wrong, she'll be told she has femoral patellar uh, syndrome, uh, which obviously means nothing. Uh, or if the doctor is a little bit more original, he'll say there's an IT band syndrome, but that's already a soft tissue diagnosis, so that's the or more edgy yeah. uh, doctor. Or maybe she has a mix of both just to make sure we don't, you know, miss the boat on this one. She'll go to the physiotherapist. He's going to say she has a weak glute med, which is why she puts too much stress internally on the medial, uh, on the medial condyle. Um, I mean, it's the same story every time. And I'm not saying that what these guys are saying is not true. I'm saying it won't change anything because the glute med didn't just wake up uh, weak one day. The patella did not just, you know, for no, patella is a bone. Can the bone really choose where it goes? Of course not. It's going to be guided by muscle tension around the joint. And same thing for this bloody IT band. People try to stretch it out. You could break a windshield, um, uh, the, the windshield of your car with it. So, uh, you know, for all those reasons, I'm thinking, geez, these poor people try to get better. And they, they get answers, but they get no solutions, right? So they get, they get diagnoses. They get told that they have this and that. But then can we fix it? Well, you know, we can manage it. And then we can be good with you know, training volume and not do too much and not do too little. And essentially, most people at that at some point just give up the activity because they're like, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they'll be like, I'm not made for the sport. Um, I wasn't made for sports. And then, you know, I'm, I wasn't made for life, really, essentially, is how far this, these things can go. And I've seen that. Um, whereas if you even look to see, okay, for example, as you've mentioned, her plantar reflex, Babinski, 
Um, the way a human being develops connection with their leg is by um, getting their foot into the ground and essentially creating friction on the, on the skin. That actually lights up the brain for recognition of the leg, and it's, it's the beginning point of motor control of that limb. So if, lo and behold, that is not tested in someone whose whole leg is just starting to go to the shitters, well, you're missing the boat. You're missing the boat, and if only because you didn't look at what was originally where it could have gone wrong the first time. And if you don't do that, then, you, you know, obviously. So then it's kind of cool because once you test the plantar reflex, if it's positive, a way to integrate it is to keep stimulating it. So it's not... So, I mean, neurology, is some, by some people, it seems very complicated. It's complex, not complicated. And it could be made re real simple. And, and part of what I'm really happy with with the IP courses is we've taken a pretty complex topic and we've made it as simple as possible with really direct, practical applications. And then, you know, for people like yourself, Dan, and, and I, there's always a time to go and then read more and learn more about these things. But at least on Monday morning, after taking a course, you have tools to work with that make sense and you use them in the right order to actually get people better. But yeah, plantar reflex, man, it's completely overlooked and 80% of the population has an active plantar reflex. Whereas you figure, geez, like, okay, if we worked on that before we start stretching the IT band, maybe we would go places, you know? Yeah, maybe if we get out of the shoes and not wear them in your house and not wear yeah. them 20 hours a day or whatever. Um, so many of these these ladies that I work with, I'll ask them about that. And uh, oh yeah, I wear shoes in the house. I wear shoes all the time. Don't like take my shoes off. I got to have big, furry, comfy socks on all the time. And um, yeah. well, well, how about we address this? And you skip that cortisone shot, and we'll see how your knee works. Um, because cortisone yeah. shots are given out here like like free candy, um, unfortunately, with at least a lot of my adults. And um, I don't know. IP has just really kind of opened me up with 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 some of that now. Um, getting into some of the reflexes, we're both, uh, I, I have, I, I've been prevy to reflexes and primitive reflexes before, uh, taking your courses kind of really, really interests me more into that. And then you, you mentioned, uh, well, who's now become, you know, someone that I, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with his work is Dr. Dr. Robert Melillo. Um, <laughs> would you mind kind of discussing the role of primitive reflexes in IP and in, you know, your, your other work of posturology and, in, in how that kind of works with, you know, the pyramid and everything else. I mean, um, Robert Melillo is probably the mentor to anyone and everyone who looks into how childhood development can affect someone in adulthood. And obviously on a motor level, because that's the uh, initial interface that we develop as human beings to develop all the other ones. Um, but Robert Melillo's uh, strengths, and he has many of them, is that he does take into account uh, the very... Uh, significant importance of primitive reflex integration. Um, basically, when, when uh, kids develop in utero and in their first year of life, they have to integrate a series of reflexes called primitive reflexes. And, and those reflexes uh, create the initial wiring between the brain and the muscles. So Melillo's work, uh, if you look at his courses, his books, is quite frankly to uh, look at how we can test and then integrate these reflexes with different exercises. Um, where I took it in a bit of a different direction is looking at how that helps with performance in the gym or on the field. But I mean, the the but the beginning point, right, is the exact same. So whether you're dealing with a child that has ADHD and autism, let's say, which would be Dr. Melillo's uh, specialty, or whether you're dealing with a high-performing student who 
whose pelvis shifts on a squat, interestingly enough, the approach would be the exact same as far as testing and exercises go. It's just that you'd be looking at different types of results depending on the client that you're working with. But so primitive reflex testing and integration in the next few years has to become the baseline testing for all practitioners and, and not so much because I do it, because God knows I used to do more biomechanical work like exclusively, but if only because if we look at where the root cause of these dysfunctions comes from, that's the origin. Yeah. You can't really go further back than primitive reflex integration, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, again, your course and Dr. Melillo's work is really kind of open up to my eyes to why I, I can't solve some problems, why, why I hadn't historically been able to solve some problems, because I wasn't addressing things like that. So for instance, uh, I, I do a lot of vision training with baseball, softball players, and there's just been some kids historically that I can't improve their convergence. I've been able to struggle with with some of their saccade movements and, and this and that. And then now with, with again, IP and Dr. Malilo's work, well, maybe they have an asymmetrical tonic neck reflex that's not integrated. So they didn't learn to crawl well. Um, and, and, you know, we got to kind of go all the way back because one of the things that really I don't know, just kind of shift my paradigm of looking at things with Dr. Malilo's work is the brain has to grow up before it grows out and then down. Yeah. And yeah. at the base is primitive reflexes and it can't grow up, uh, you know, if it's not fully developed down at the, down at the base. And that's really what yeah. IP and primitive reflexes are in, in my opinion. Um, right. Am I right to say? Yeah. I had a discussion a few years ago with an athletic trainer, uh, American, obviously. Um, and when I started telling him about the fact that athletic trainers needed to get interested in the brainstem, which is that base of the brain, right? When you say from, from top to bottom development and, uh, and his answer was, we don't have the right to look at brainstem because that's what doctors do. And obviously he didn't understand what I meant, but, but maybe he did as well. Right? Because the thing is, we're looking at motor output, we're looking at how people can contract muscles, whether it be in the context of a muscle test or a squat, but then the, the foundation of how you can connect with muscles voluntarily has to do with how well you've developed the brainstem, and it's in the brainstem that you integrate primitive reflexes. So we need to be interested in a part of the brain that is much more, uh, has been spoken of a lot less, but, but yet yields the key to the results we've been looking for. Um, and that's exactly what obviously I promote uh, in course one. We even dissect the brainstem quite a bit. We look into the different parts, the different nuclei. We need to know this kind of stuff if we're going to intervene on it logically. And if we're going to be able to say, okay, well, when A doesn't work, how could we go about making A work but by using a different route? Which still makes sense biologically, but the more you understand your neuroanatomy, uh, and we cover a good amount of that in IP. Mm -hmm. uh, I like IP a lot because it's a good mix of theory and practice, quite frankly, in functional neurology. Yeah. I find there's often not enough practice, not enough exercises or testing uh, tools. Uh, IP is a good, I find it's a good healthy balance between the two. So you need to understand why you do what you do. You need to, go, to be able to go about things a different way if things don't work the way you planned originally. But then you also need to have like tools to work with. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I think the IP advantage really is. Um, no, and then I agree. Again, there's always room to read more studies and more research, and Melilo's a, a great researcher. He's published extensively. So, No, I agree. Uh, you know, because of you and because of uh, our friend Dan uh, Fichter, you know, I've tried going down this functional neurology path a bit, and uh, 
you know, it's it's great information and it's it's dense and it's you know it, it's sometimes hard to to digest, but it doesn't give you much as far as practicality. Uh, and so having you know a, a course such as IP um, has really helped as far as now how to apply these these concepts and and that's been uh, just game changing to me. So you know again something simple is we're talking about the the planner reflex the um, the Babinski using a neuro spike ball. I have 20 of them now in my gym, uh, and it's the first thing everyone does when they come in. Uh, they roll out their feet, roll out their hands, uh, get that going. We take off our shoes. Uh, I try to get them out of socks if they're comfortable enough to. I, I don't try to enforce that, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, just simple things like that. Uh, and you, yeah. there's so much more. I don't want to give away too much uh, of the practical stuff that IP does, but um, you, you do a great job of giving practicality to all this uh, detailed functional neurology. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for, for doing that. It, it needs to be applicable. Um, and that's where I think part of my mission is. It's in, in empowering practitioners to say, you know what, you understand it to some extent, which we all do. Eh? No one fully understands neurology. Like it's, there's too many things we don't even know um, at the highest level. But then it's like, okay, so how do I work on someone to improve you know, their motor control. So tools are uh, crucial. And, and there's always more tools out there. I present per course maybe about 40 exercises, uh, but there's more. And then, you know what, practitioners make up their own exercises based on understanding what we're going after. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool thing. At this point, there's over 300 practitioners that have been trained around the world, and they sometimes contribute to their, you know, the exercise that they created to the group and then everyone can benefit. There's exercises I use every week that came up from students I trained. How, how cool is that, right? Like I'm teaching, yeah. but then I'm the one using an exercise from this kid from Switzerland and I'll tell my client, I'm like, this one's from Seb. Seb's in Switzerland and he came up with this eye hand exercise and I'm like, it's really good. Yeah. So yeah, so everyone gets the benefit from a community um, and that's what IP is as well. It's a course, but it's it's a very active um, Facebook page where practitioners share information almost daily. Yeah. There's almost one post a day on that page, really. Yeah. It's um, and it's just they're they're all awesome people. I've met all of them really in a sense, and in the last four years, that's been uh, very exciting for me. And it's obviously it's ongoing. Yeah, and it's always good to have uh, be friends with Dan Fichter, who's just a, a crazy, yeah. crazy, I don't know, lab rat that's just always trying shit on himself, on his sons, uh, on, on people at his facility. So, um, yeah, also, I, I would advise anyone listening to become friends with Dan Fichter. Yeah, he's the, he's curious, which, uh, which you are as well. And honestly, those are the people I like to, uh, well, those are the people I end up surrounding myself with, no matter how I try to you know go about life because at the end of the day I, I, I want to be around people who are trying to figure it out and that aren't stuck to so much oh but this is how we do it uh, this is how we've done it up to now can we add this can we modify this can we do better here uh, to me that's so, so I you know challenging the way we work as individuals and bringing that with humility to the table all the while saying up to now, you know, this is what we do and it works to a certain extent and maybe it works better than other stuff we've done in the past, which is why I'm moving away from a biomechanical model as the years go by, but there's enough in neurology to gather that you can still make that evolve quite a bit. 
Yeah, now we just got to get you, because Dan and I are from the same hometown, Rochester, New York, so we got to get you down to Rochester and try a garbage plate. But, uh, um, yeah, maybe maybe when the world kind of goes back to a mild normal. But uh, Yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be up there before you know it. <laughs> now, on, on top of uh, having IP and uh, stuff, you also are a posturologist, which I, I don't know uh, if many people even know what that is. I've ever heard of that. Um, you mind discussing a little bit? Uh, into what that is and what, yeah, what you do sure. with posturology? So posturology is like functional neurology in Europe. Uh, so it's a bit different, but it's similar in the sense where it looks at that brain-muscle connection. It does so by initially trying to improve posture as a way in to improve motor control. Uh, and by doing that, uh, so posturology has been around since 1985. It's taught in different universities in Europe, four of them. Uh, and it's very clinical, it's very applicable. It uses a mix of technology and exercises to improve posture, balance, motor control. And so in my practice, I use functional neurology and posturology. I combine them. Um, I find where one works off of the other one quite nicely. Um, I get to integrate primitive reflexes a lot faster than if I just did primitive reflex integration. Um, that being said, integrating primitive reflexes faster helps with gaining better posture. So. There really is this great tie-in between the two. Um, I've learned from the founder, uh, Dr. Brico, who's um, a, trained as an orthopedic surgeon. So it's rare that we have these techniques and performance that actually come from medicine. And of all things, he's not even just a, a general practitioner. He's an orthopedic surgeon. So in the 80s, he was looking at ways of improving mechanics in a way that it would be long-lasting, in a way that it would be a roots-caused approach. And now in posturology, in the last five or say, I would say five years, we've been integrating even more so now primitive reflexes as well. So there's a lot of tie-ins between posturology and, and functional neurology, but they work on the same system slightly differently. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really cool stuff. It's very edgy, I would say. So for the, the cynics here in the States, uh, posturology, so we're looking at making sure posture is uh, symmetrical with, with athletes and with people? Yeah, uh, and obviously they're cynical because they never see anyone who's balanced, so they figure it's not possible and then, you know, it's not something you can achieve. Yet they've studied physiology where they understand that every physiological system um, is going towards homeostasis. So homeostasis of the postural system would be not to have an imbalance. Um, if we don't achieve that, it's because we're not working with the right tools and the right techniques. Uh, because in posturology, that's something we're able to do every, I mean, I see anywhere between maybe 7 to 20 people a day, 14 years now, and honestly, it's, it's, it's just not an issue. We get shoulders to balance off, like in the frontal plane, pelvis in the frontal plane, transverse plane. This is what we do every day, so um, people, yeah, people have to open up themselves to that. It's already happening in Europe. Whether they like to admit it or not, it's been going on in Europe for 30 years. So they, they just have to look at things from a wider perspective um, if, if they're skeptical because they're just missing out on part of what's being done at the moment. It's being used on top-end athletes. Um, the MVP of the uh, football or soccer World Cup from the French team was um, uh, a posturology uh, athlete. Uh, it's used at the highest level. So... Yeah, they just have to open themselves up to something they don't know yet, essentially. Well, what, okay, so what uh, What about those coaches that are saying, you know, we're asymmetrical beings, our heart's on one side, our liver's on the other side. Um, 
you know, and, and for athletics, uh, you know, such as a baseball pitcher, you know, you might find a deviation or, or, or a difference with their right shoulder if they're right-handed throw versus their left. You know, what, what, do you, what do you say to those kind of coaches that are just like, we play asymmetrical sports or asymmetrical beans? Yeah, um, so the whole liver-stomach thing, yes, we're asymmetrical from an organ standpoint, but uh, last time I saw a football player throw a ball with their liver, uh, that was a few years ago. Uh, so uh, there's a difference to be made between what's happening at the organ level versus the mechanical level. You have the exact same muscles on the right and left sides of your body. They attach exactly at the same places. So it would be interesting for me to think that Oh, well, but it's normal that the posture would be imbalanced when we have the exact mirror image of our bodies, left versus right, for example. So that, that whole liver versus stomach PRI bullshit argument, honestly, it's just too bad because they do some good stuff, but they're retarded on some levels, and they hold to that as if it was religion. And that's, that's where I get off the bandwagon, because when things become religious and you can't prove them, it's a, it's a hypothesis that they have at PRI that because the liver's on the right side, and I'm like, but they're the only ones to have that hypothesis. In posturology, doctors have been making patients leveled at the shoulders for 40 years. All these people have a liver on the right side. If that was such an obstacle, we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so that's as far as the whole liver versus stomach thing goes. But as far as sports go... You're not born throwing a baseball. I know we like to refer to ourselves as the athletes that we are. So, oh, yeah, but I played baseball or I'm a professional baseball player. I don't give a shit what you are. You were at some point zero to two years of age. And quite frankly, most of the imbalances you have today come from there. So I'm not saying sports aren't asymmetrical. I'm not saying they don't create um, uh, uh, challenges to the body because they are asymmetrical. They do. But the way you'll respond to those will have to do quite a bit with how balanced you are before you take on the sport. But it's very, very difficult for a lot of people to think what happened before the kid played soccer or before the kid played uh, baseball. As if nothing happened before. Mm -hmm. As if you know, the child's life or the athlete's life started the day they got their contract with the major leagues. Um, these these guys walk in and these gals walk in with a whole bunch of imbalances already. And then really what I'm saying is if we're going to go to the root cause of where they've had their imbalances, we have to go all the way back to how they learn how to move. And I know this is not sexy for most because they much prefer looking at the guy throw a ball for like 10 years and try to figure a way to change that based on how they throw a ball. But you got to think if they have a lack of eye-hand coordination, um, a, a lack of integration of the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, for example, well, that's going to affect how they throw a ball now. It's so why not integrate the reflex, make that make that sequence, that motor sequence, better, and and then um, just enjoy the fruits of your labor at that point. Really. Now I hope I get this quote right, but I uh, from the IP course you said you know we should be symmetrical in muscle tone, but where we have asymmetries in fine motor skills. That's exactly it, and that's that's where people, you know, figure all. Oh, but asymmetries are normal. Asymmetry of use for fine motor skill is actually not only normal; it's wanted. It's welcomed. Um, it's what makes us precise. It's what allows us to write. It's what allows us to be able to, let's say, throw a ball precisely here and not there. But the but that's it. That's really from the from the wrist 
to the elbow, from the hand to the elbow, or from the knee to the feet. Um, this, the stiffness in the muscles should still be the same right versus left, especially even more so at the level of everything from elbow, shoulder, trunk, and spine, or uh, lower down from knees up to the pelvis and the sacroiliac joint. So how many, how many you know, sacroiliac joints are adjusted per day in the U.S. where you figure like the SI joint should not need to get adjusted. It should be that you have symmetry of muscle tension on both sides of that pelvis that would make it that your sacrum does not need to get adjusted. Uh, so, yeah, so that that's <laughs> so it's looking at things a little bit. It's being more difficult with what we consider to be normal, mm-hmm. and that's where I think some are just like, nah, this is too much work. Well, it's not if you have the right tools. It's just does it ask of you to look at things differently? Absolutely. But how fed up are you of looking at your athlete's pelvis way on a on a squat or deadlift? I got fed up enough that I kept looking for answers. Some of these strength coaches aren't. And they just figure, well, if the boy breaks, the boy breaks. And there's another one that's going to be ready to lift. That's essentially the mentality in a lot of, you know, yeah. what I've seen. So, Well, I love uh, uh, also the quote I got from you that uh, um, not everyone who's asymmetrical is in pain, but everyone who's in pain is asymmetrical. Yeah, because the asymmetry before it leads to issues can take time, which is what makes a lot of the people in the literature say, well, you can have imbalances, it doesn't mean you have pain. First off, these studies are always in relationship to one area of the body, usually lumbar spine. So I'm like, okay, fascinating. But when we look at posture, we look at posture in 3D of the whole body. So I don't care so much about just the lumbar spine, I care about everything. And what we've seen is that over the years, an, uh, an asymmetry is a constraint on a joint. So you might not have pain right now, but then again, what activities have you abandoned not to have symptoms or to have less of them? That's question number one, which is never answered. Question number two is, well, how many years will it take before you have some uh, changes to your structure where at some point you'll need surgery? Oh, but, you know, when you need surgery, it's a problem. Okay, but the 30 years leading up to it aren't because everyone has arthritis and that's normal. Uh, You see, so in, in in the official narrative, there are, uh, many, many huge holes. Uh, and, and when you look for performance, you see these holes even faster. Now, you mind just quick before I, I know I got to let you go, give some, a practical example. So, uh, for instance, uh, you know, asymmetry in feet, which I think is very common, uh, especially because I take my athletes' shoes off all the time and we're rolling out on the narrow spike balls. I, I, I look at feet a lot, um, yeah. not, not in a gross way. Uh, I'm just fascinated with how they function. That was and, an easy, easy joke, my friend. That was an yeah, easy joke coming here. Right? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I wanted to end it before you threw it at me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, I'm, I mean, very interested in how they function and, and everything like that. But I see a lot of asymmetry in feet. What is, I mean, how common is that that you see? And what do, what could that mean to, you know, I mean, things up the chain? Um most individuals you'll meet in your entire life, their two feet don't touch the ground the same way. Yet, when they walk, they still want to go forward. So then what happens is that their body has to compensate for that. So what effect will it have? It's going to make the expression of their self more difficult than it should in absolutely everything they ever do. That includes the sports they do. That includes picking up a toy from their kid on the floor that was left there. Uh, That also involves how resilient they'll be at not falling from uh, lacking balance if they walk on on uh, a sheet of ice. So 
it's going to affect their entire physiology. It's going to make it harder for their body to stand upright. It's going to increase their heart rate, typically their blood pressure, their cortisol. So essentially, and I, I did write a, an ebook on this. It's um, uh, it's called Posturology for Functional Medicine. It's like 65 pages of evidence-based uh, content where when you have a difficulty with posture, your health can suffer. And, and again, this is all researched. Um, so it'll affect you on a motor level. So yeah, your squat will suck, but it goes a bit further than that. It goes actually a lot further than that. It even affects your psychology. And there's a crazy amount of research on how it affects mental health. So I'm a posture chauvinist because, uh, quite frankly, it's it's the it's the strategy we have to to go at, uh, about it in life because we all have to to resist gravity, um, and that's the the premise of how we do everything else is we we stop resisting gravity the day we die. So I figure while we're here, if we can be better at it, we'll have more fun. Uh, and I think the whole point of life is to have fun, quite frankly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's it's just all too common, unfortunately. And uh, um, I don't know. People don't usually think about their feet until they hurt. Um, yeah. And, and very yeah. rarely do they want to blame their feet or their footwear for you know anything up the chain. Um, but uh, I don't know. You, you posturology, IP. Dr. Malilo has kind of opened up my eyes to just looking at things. Just, I mean, it's been a complete paradigm shift for me as far as how I view things. Again, I was more of on the biomechanics side, so uh, I yeah. appreciate you. Like we all were. We yeah. all started from mechanics, man. I mean, every one of us, whether we're strength coaches, physical therapists, um, athletic trainers, all we were ever taught in school was you look at neurology if they have an illness, and if they don't, then you stretch muscles. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing uh, every course load that we've all received. So, we all, we all come from mechanics. And you know what? We need to understand and learn mechanics. We just need to be able to go beyond it if we want to do good work. Yeah. But it's a, great, it's a great basis to have. We use muscles. I'm just interested in how we have access to them or not. Instead of saying it's weak or it's tight. Which yeah. I know those are consequences. So, Yeah. Um. Well, I I, uh, I love it. I love the info. Keep putting out great stuff, uh, you know, for the listeners. Where can they uh, learn more about Matt? Learn more about IP, uh, and possibly find that ebook that you put out. So the uh, the ebook is on a website called ciesposture.com, uh, which is the website for teachings of posturology in Canada and the U.S. Um, if they want to learn more about IP Institute, so it's institute but with no e right because it's french ip.com although the website is fully french and english uh so those are the two places uh where they can find the most info on the stuff that we've been speaking of awesome well uh matt thanks so much i hope to uh get you back and we can go much deeper into some of the uh the weeds here with this stuff but uh again thank you so much for redoing this with me uh always great talking to you buddy it's a pleasure, my friend. Oh, uh, before we go, yep. there's a new course starting in January. I always forget to promote, and Dan's going to kick my ass, and with reason. January 4th, the Monday where everyone goes back to life, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're teaching a new level one. So if anyone's interested, they can go on the website and ask us questions about that. Check it out. Highly recommend it. But uh, Matt, thanks, boy. Hey, Jeff, always a pleasure, my friend. Take care.